like I said, just a completely, really unplanned song until this morning. And uh, we're talking about, like, well, when do we do it? And uh, it was just, all right, how about it? When everybody sits down, just a reminder of, uh, you know, who Jesus Christ is, why we're gathered, what our relationship with him means, all of those things. So this morning, uh, it's Christmas Eve. And this is a very popular time all around the world, and especially in this nation, in Christian nations, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, for us to be able to to stop everything and and to focus on uh, the gift of the Savior... Uh, is is an important thing for us. You know, what, what are we celebrating? You know, the coming of the Savior. And the question is, why was the Savior needed? Why 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 did uh, a Savior need to be given to this earth? You know, there there are questions of who is Jesus Christ? Why did He come? What did He do? Um, what do I have to do with Jesus personally? And as we read through uh, these scriptures, I, um, I I hope that. Our um, minds and, and hearts are, are able to be um, uh, hear, be able to hear uh, what the Lord is is saying to us. He's gone to great lengths to reveal uh, the gospel message to us. Gospel means good news. So for Him to to be be able to tell us and, and want to uh, to tell us of this good news that God has for us, because a lot of people in in in, in their minds and in their hearts are going. I don't want anything to do with God because if I were to walk through a church doors or if I uh, were to do one thing or another, then I'm just I'm going to set the building on fire. You know, God doesn't know who I am. And, uh, you know, if he did, he wouldn't know anything to do with me. No, that's what the whole Christmas you know, uh, story is all about. That's what the whole gospel message is about, is the good news that God does love us. Uh, so, so as we uh, go through, you're going to see a million and one verses and and references pop up this 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 morning. It's not uh, to confuse anybody, but it's to point to the coming of of a savior, uh, and and what does that mean since then? So uh, let's pray, Father. We are just so so grateful that we can celebrate a savior, celebrate one that came to pay the penalty for our sins. We ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts for what you have. Speak to us now. We want your Holy Spirit to teach us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is written right around 700 years before the life of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this this prophecy is speaking of a virgin uh, conceiving and bearing a son. That's miraculous, right? It's, uh, there, there needs to be a, a seed planted for, for a child to grow uh, within the womb. So it's a, this is speaking of a miraculous birth. Uh, and uh, So as we uh, proceed through this, we're going to dive into it a little bit more. That name that says at the end of verse 14, Emmanuel, that means literally means God with us. God with us, okay? So this child that's born of a virgin would be God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and 
peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this again, 700 years before the life of Jesus Christ. There had been 400 years of silence from the last Old Testament uh, books. Like, so if, you, if you're looking through the scriptures and you, you look at the book of Malachi, there's 400 years of silence from God <clears throat> that's happening until Jesus Christ came. Now, as we're reading through uh, that Isaiah uh, passage, not, verses 6 and 7, it says, so a couple names might jump out to you. Mighty God, everlasting Father. So this is talking about a child being born that is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. A child that is born, okay? One that would need to have diapers changed and be fed and clothed and cared for is Almighty God. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 say, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is being said here when we look at Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, John chapter 1, is Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So when there's a question of who is Jesus, he is God in the flesh. The Old Testament proclaims that. He proclaimed that. Even when you get to uh, the book of Revelation where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is declaring to be God in the flesh. So if there's ever a question whether someone is like-minded in our faith, if we're having these discussions, or if you're thinking, uh, you know, maybe we're going to stop and visit this church or anything, I, I, I highly recommend you get onto the church's website and read their statement of faith and understand who Jesus Christ is. Because, guys, everything in, in human history hinges on who Jesus Christ is. He is God in the flesh, right? Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus Christ said that uh, you shall... Sorry, you shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This is, this is a speaking of one that was coming that was God in the flesh. Then we get into John. You get into John's gospel, and he's so adamant. You know, the Spirit impressed upon him to present Jesus as God in the flesh. He's the Son of God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Sorry, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then when you get to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who else could that be? There's nobody else. There's nobody else that that could have been. So how did this all come about? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 you, so if you have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, uh, we're going we're gonna to jump through uh, the Gospels and uh, we're going to go into uh, Luke and, and Matthew. So if you, if you need a Bible, I think I see one or two in the back there. Just throw your hand up and someone will get you one. Um, and, uh, and if you need a Bible, that's yours for, for keeping if you need it. 
um, we'll make sure that uh, that uh, we'll we'll buy some more. It's more important for anybody to have those. So Luke chapter one verse uh, twenty six says, "Now in the sixth month of and this is speaking of the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. If you read the beginning of of, of Luke one, it speaks of Zechariah finding out that he uh, who is old in his age is going to have a son. And there's a whole story uh, that goes with that. I highly encourage you to go back and read it. It's another miraculous birth of somebody called John the Baptist." You want to understand where he came from, go and read uh, the first 25 verses of Luke chapter 1. So now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So this is a virgin, who, which means she had not been sexually intimate with a man in her life. Because she was chosen by God, uh, she is, uh, what we see here uh, is, it says that, you know, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. That has unfortunately turned into a prayer. I, I grew up Catholic, we're, we're to pray to God uh, alone. Right there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. First Timothy two five tells us that. Okay, um, so we we are not to pray to anybody but God. Okay, so uh, and I, I'm not here trying to just offend anybody that's here or watching. It, there's a correction that's needed. There is one to pray to, and that's God. And there's one mediator between us and Him, and that's Jesus Christ and what He's done. So now the veil of the temple that was there was torn when Jesus Christ died. It was a statement from God that there's no longer a separation between us and man. Okay, so we can go straight to God. We don't need any like we don't need people to pray on our behalf. Is what I'm saying here. She's not to be worshipped. She's wonderful woman. Mary, wonderful lady. We're going to learn a lot of, about obedience and and trusting in the Lord from this young woman. But she's not to be praised or prayed to, just like we're not to be. Can God work in our lives? Absolutely. Verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So those last few verses are talking about the coming Messiah. That would be the one that would come from the seed of David. Mary was of the tribe of Judah. And the same as, as David. So it, it would have to be somebody of that tribe that could uh, reign forever on uh, David's throne. And this is talking, we obviously know there's a, that spiritual throne uh, that needed to be, because there isn't a king sitting there other than Jesus Christ. So the angel tells them, tells her that his name is to be Jesus. And that means uh, Yahweh's salvation. Uh, we've we've talked about Emmanuel, God is with us. So Yeshua would be his Hebrew name. The Greek name is what we see here uh, is is Jesus. So Mary is hearing that her son is going to be the promised Messiah. That's quite a thing to hear 
from an angel, right? I mean, here, here she's just going about her day, and all of a sudden there's an angel there. And the angel is literally telling her that the Messiah is coming through your, through your body. You are going to give birth to the Messiah. Verse 34 says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? That doesn't mean she doesn't know a man. That means she has not been sexually intimate with a man. So it's a genuine question. She's not mocking or she's not in disbelief. Uh, just understand it's okay for us to ask God questions. You know, I know this is an angel sitting there talking to him, but that angel was sent with a message from God. That's what angels do. That's what they are. They're messengers. <clears throat> and that angel has that message, and she's like, I'm not understanding. Something would have had to happen for me to have, uh, have a, a child. And so there's a genuine question coming from this young woman. Verse 35 says, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived in her old age. And as I said before, that's John the Baptist. And this is now the sixth month for her who, who was called barren. She hadn't been able to have children before. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. So Elizabeth, who's barren, is now pregnant. Okay, so there's a miracle happening in Elizabeth's life. She's actually six months pregnant. And Mary, he's saying to her, with God, nothing will be impossible. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel answers her question. The child will be from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And this child will be called the Son of God. Now verse 30, 37 says, For with God nothing will be impossible. Without God, a virgin birth is impossible. It's impossible, right? There are many mockers to our faith that were like, Yeah, the virgin birth. Okay, gotcha. You have to believe in God to understand what the virgin birth means and how that could come about. I'll believe God's word over anybody else anyways. Mary's response uh, is uh, declaring a great faith. And she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. This is a perfect response to the Lord's word. Perfect response. I don't understand it, but I'm here as your servant and let it be according to me, uh, to, to your will. You know, that's, a, that's quite a thing. That's a, a response of faith. You know, faith is, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews tells us, right? The, 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 the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, being, being that those things become a reality when we have faith in God. They become a reality. We There isn't a substance until we have faith, and there isn't evidence until we have faith, and then it all makes sense. That's a perfect response. Big lesson to learn from a young girl. Young people in here, don't ever be discouraged. And don't ever discourage somebody who's young. Don't ever discourage them, right? What did, what did Paul write to Timothy? Don't let anybody despise your youth. You know, be example to them, Right? Don't ever do Oh, you're just young. Get out of here. You don't know anything. They could hear from God, and we got a whole lot to learn when they do, right? Seems impossible, you know, uh, that this would happen. It also seems impossible for us to be changed, to be saved. 
to be changed, to be a specific person. And once we've met Jesus Christ, we're a whole new person, right? And we're going to get into that later. Look at her response. It says, let it be to me according to your word. That's a wonderful response from this young lady. A lot for us to learn on that. Matthew chapter 1. So if you do have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1 now. Trying to go and uh, there's, there are a few things where it's, it, it may seem to, um, hopefully this all lines up. I'm sure it will as I trusted the Lord putting this together. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. So Mary just got this, uh, this great uh, news. And uh, there's uh, go, go on and read some more because Mary uh, then runs to Elizabeth. And they have this wonderful meeting between these two relatives. And uh, they're, they're just talking there. And then Mary has this wonderful song that's written out. You need to go check it out. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to, uh, to look at. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. So there's the promise of, of the Messiah coming. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, uh, to Mary. Now, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So being a just man, he protects the woman of, in his life. Now, he's been betrothed. They're engaged, if you want to look at it that way. And then he finally, wait a minute, you're pregnant. I don't know what to do with this. What does this mean? Now, this could mean her life. It really could. And he's being a just man and not wanting uh, to make a public example of her. And he, verse 20 says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, the son of, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So while he's thinking about these things, God ministered to him through an angel and confirmed what Mary had said to him, that this had all happened as a result of the Holy Spirit doing uh, something powerful in Mary's life. So Joseph's is found with this. Uh, he's, he's, uh, we can see Joseph in this spot of like, wait, you're pregnant? And I don't understand any of this. You're telling me this, but I'm not sure I understand. I don't know. So he's thinking about this, and the Lord sends somebody to him for him to hear. Uh, that, hey, it's okay. It's okay to take take for her, uh, take her as your wife. That's that's okay. And uh, so the Lord met his need. He didn't even really know that he had a need, and the Lord met him there with it. Verse twenty one, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. From their sins. You notice it doesn't say he'll save them politically. That's why the Jews, that's one of the big reasons the Jews have not accepted Jesus. Because he didn't take over and help them overthrow Rome and the tyranny of the Roman government over them. That, that's that's one of the big reasons that many of the Jews don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't understand when he comes back, he will. But he first came to die for the sins of mankind. He will save his people for, from their sins. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, right? We just read this. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
Then Joseph aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph uh, hears this, uh, this message, believes it, and he arose and did as the angel commanded him. There's another lesson for us to take from a young man. When he's not understanding things and the Lord ministers and answers his question before he can really even ask it to God, and the Lord answers the question, and, uh, and he does as God told him to do through the angel. So he took Mary to be his wife. It says he did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son. This means that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. That is also taught that Mary, Jesus had brothers and sisters. They weren't all uh, from an immaculate conception. Jesus had natural brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters, right, through Mary. They, they at some point consummated their marriage as husband and wife, but not until after Jesus Christ was born. So if anybody ever said, no, it's a perpetual virgin, I have no idea where they got that, because the scriptures say right there, it says he didn't know her until she brought forth, right? Till that happened. That means that afterward, then that would have happened. You notice the same name was given to Mary and Joseph, Yahweh's salvation. So now we're going to jump ahead a little bit in the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. So if you need a second to turn there. You can put a, a stopper, or, you know, your little ribbon thing within your Bible or something, or your finger there or whatever. I'm going to go uh, between Luke and Matthew. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governor, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we see this taking place. Mary received her message. Joseph received her message. They both responded in faith and did uh, as the Lord told them. And now we see this actually coming about here in Luke chapter 2. And uh, as they were told to, they go to Bethlehem to register. And as they're in Bethlehem, uh, she is uh, great with child. It, it says you might have that in your uh, in your uh, new, uh, sorry, your King James Version says that she's great with child, right? Um, I wouldn't recommend walking up to somebody who's at that point saying, you look great with child. That's a dangerous thing to do. But it was evident that she's ready, right? She's ready to have uh, have uh, this this child. And uh, it's verse 6 says, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. For her to be delivered. Uh, any ladies in here that have you know carried babies and everything? There is a point I remember with my wife, uh, with our three daughters, where she's like, "Okay, I'm ready for this child to come," 
right? Because it's 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 uh, very uh, hard to do. You know, I, I don't. I've never experienced it. Don't want to. I'm glad I don't have to. Right? But for her to be delivered, for the for the child to come, right? And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. They're in a barn. You guys are probably familiar with the story. But consider this. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Imagine an earthly king being born in a manger. Just an earthly king. Whatever kingdom you can imagine. Imagine them being born in a barn. Now I know we've probably been asked those things, right? Were you born in a barn? Shut the door, right? You know? I don't know if that ever came up in their household. I don't know. But, right, literally born in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So nobody in the inn was either aware or willing to give up their room to a pregnant lady. Massively pregnant, right? I even did the hand thing and I said I shouldn't have, right? But she's pregnant. And wh whatever it was, maybe they got there late. I don't know. There's a lot of people there, right? But she doesn't have, there, there's no room for them. So somebody probably graciously said, hey, I don't have a room, but we can put you in there. The king of all the earth was born in a barn because there was no room for him in the end. No room for him. If we look at it in today's world, in a hospital, there was nowhere for them to go. So they're just going to pull over and you know go into the barn and have the child. Verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels uh, had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord made known to us. And they came and made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those uh, who heard it marveled at, the, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So the shepherds' lives change forever at that point, right? And they, they hear this great news. They see this angel, and then they see a multitude of angels. And they hear this wonderful message that, that, uh, that the Christ had come. You know, look, go. And he's, he's wrapped, and, and you know, the, the Savior had come. And, and they're probably like, okay, what palace is he in? Where is he? What, you know, where he's at? And they're like, oh, he's in the manger. He's wrapped in swa swaddling cloths. 
You know, you're going you're gonna to find him there. And uh, they, uh, they run, and they get there, and they see Mary and Joseph there. And they're, they're joyful, and uh, they, they leave rejoicing. They, they got to lay eyes on the Savior that had been promised to them. What a wonderful guys! Shepherds were considered the lowest of of like the of society. Like you're out doing the nasty work and everything, and there they are. They're the ones that God went and uh, and sent an angel to to uh, to speak to them and to minister to them. And it says in verse 19 that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke chapter two, verse 25, just ahead of a few verses, and behold. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. So we see the, the, the lowly shepherds being able to see the, the uh, Savior that was born. Now we hear of Simeon. And this man was just and devout. He was one that was after God's heart in his life. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Savior. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, now this is eight days after his birth, and they're bringing Jesus in for the proper baby dedication, and he would have been circumcised at that time also, to do for him according to the law. He he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. This is a big, uh, a big thing to say. And the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So now we see Joseph and Mary marveling. Remember, before uh, she had uh, kept those things and pondered them in her heart. Now Mary is at a point, and along with Joseph now, that, uh, that they're marveling at those things which are spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So now the uh, the the word that comes from Simeon is that you're going to marry. I know that you've uh, been uh, pondering things, and you know the Lord speaking to Mary through these circumstances. Now you've been pondering things, and you're marveling at these things. There's also going to be a sword that pierces through your soul. That that's it's and and it says that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And we're going to get into that here as we continue. So if you have your Bible marked, go back to Matthew chapter two, verse one. If not, you can cheat and look up there. I think they've been putting it up there. And that's okay. Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is, has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. He's worried about his, uh, you know, his reign and all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with, his, with, his, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to herod they departed for their own country another way so they didn't return uh, to herod herod had a wicked plan and we saw him carried out uh, when they didn't return he gets mad and he goes and starts killing off those that are two years old and younger he's afraid that somebody's going to take his kingdom a murderous plan that came from that. Them being divinely warned, uh, they didn't go back. But when they came, they brought three gifts for him. Now, we've often seen these three gifts being depicted as three wise men. It doesn't say how many wise men. It just says that they had three gifts. So these wise men from the east come, and they have three gifts for this child. And they're all symbolic. Gold, you would give gold to a king. Frankincense is used by a priest as a sweet-smelling aroma. Myrrh is an awful weird thing to give to a baby. It's something they would use for embalming somebody. I mean, you're not going to be at the baby shower all excited, like, cool, thanks for the formaldehyde. You know what I mean? It's just that, that type of thing, right? But they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were prophetic gifts. Okay, They were speaking of Jesus being both high, uh, both uh, uh the king and being their high priest. But myrrh spoke of something else. They brought that for a funeral. Remember what Simeon said? A sword was going to pierce through your own soul also. They brought that for to speak of that. Another indication Jesus came for a very special reason. I was listening to a song uh, yesterday. Um, I kind of found it in my phone. I was kind of going through some Christmas songs. I'm like, some, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I can go through a whole Christmas season and be like, I don't know if I've really like spent time in worshiping. I can't stand like 95% of the songs that are on the radio because they're all not about Jesus. They're all about Santa and bringing bells and whatever, you know, whatever that is. It's, I'm not all hung up about it. But essentially, I want to actually have my heart set to, 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 uh, Worship in this time, a special time of worship, right? And I found this song by an artist named Bebo Norman, and I'd never heard of him till Jen and I went to a Third Day concert. And uh, we went, so you've probably heard of Third Day if you're uh, familiar with Christian, um, contemporary Christian music. And uh, 
wonderful band. Love those guys. But right before Third Day came this guy just by himself with a guitar, and he blew my mind. Right, this guy's playing, and he's got a, just an amazing. We sing his song. Um, uh, what is it? Without you, uh, I, I said it today. And was that what it is, Corey? Yeah, without you, we sing that song here. That's that's a Bebo Norman song. But I found this song when I was going through it at Bebo Norman. It's called "Born to Die." He wrote it, and it's a song about the fact that this baby came to die, came on a mission to die. Like we don't usually think of that. Right? When you see a baby, you don't go, oh, hey, someday this baby's going to die. You know, you just don't. You're all excited for the life that's there. That's there. But that baby that we're reading of came to this earth to die. That was, the, that was the main mission, was to come and die. John chapter 129. When we, now that we've established who he is, how he came about, John chapter 1, verse 29. Now, John the Baptist had been ministering and, uh, uh, very popular minister, weird guy, ate bugs and honey, uh, lived out in the woods. Uh, not necessarily the guy you'd see on um, you know, on TV. You know, he just he probably smelled bad a little bit, and you know, he ate locusts and honey, right? But a very respected uh, preacher. John uh, says in uh, John chapter one, verse twenty nine says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." The Lamb of God. That came to take away the sin of the world. He that's a, a prophetic statement. Because they would sacrifice a lamb to pay for sin. And he's looking at a man and saying, That man right there is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus Christ came on a mission to die. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If you consider what Paul wrote in First uh, Timothy chapter one verse fifteen, says this is a faithful saying, a worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. That was written by and most of anybody who's here on a regular basis, that's part of this church on a regular basis, knows what I'm going to say. That was written by a man to a young pastor that he's he's uh, discipling in his life. The man that wrote that was a Christian killer. Paul wrote that. Someone who was killing Christians. So when he says that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he believed that. He's like, I could be considered the chief of sinners. He was one that was there holding people's cults while, uh, in Acts chapter 7 while Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. He was the one that was on the road to Damascus with a letter uh, allowing him to persecute the church. Well, that means like convicting people. Dragging them into court, they'd set up a, a mock trial or whatever and throw them into prison, make them blaspheme the name of Christ. That's who wrote that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any of us here are in that place or you know somebody's in the place that says, I could never turn to God, not after what I've done. Do you kill a bunch of Christians? <laughs> okay, so there's where you can work backward from, right, in our discussion. You know, hopefully they haven't. Right? That's, uh, that's uh, something we, uh, we hope doesn't happen, right? 
We need to understand this baby came to die and he took the wrath of God in our place that we might be saved. Jesus uh, was, was praying in Luke chapter uh, 22. It says, when he was withdrawn from them, about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed. This was before he went to the cross, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's the cup of God's wrath that, w- that would be poured out upon this sinful world. And what he's saying is, is, I'll take that cup. Not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. But what are we, you know, what are we being saved from? It's God's wrath. We're being saved from the power of sin and, and hell and death uh, by Christ if we come to faith in him. So what is sin? We see sin. Uh, uh, we were uh, going through this. I, I don't remember what service it was. Um, it was a few weeks ago on Sunday morning. Uh, we were going through where sin generated. Genesis chapter 2, right? Uh, Adam and Eve put in the Garden of Eden, and they were given all of Eden, uh, that, that garden, to eat whatever they wanted. But God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one you can't, right? Serpent comes along, deceives Eve. And, and and deceives her by saying, well, you're not sure you're surely going to die. You know, God knows that if you eat of this, you're going to be like him. It's not a bad thing. Go ahead. You're going to be like God. And he, and he deceives her into eating. And then she gives to her husband who disobeys God. She was deceived with the scriptures say Adam is the one that disobeyed. And Adam took from that that moment. Next chapter in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God told the serpent that because of what had happened, he was going to put enmity between his seed and the seed of the woman, and that the seed of the woman was going to crush his head and he would bruise its heel. That's speaking of one that's coming, who we know now in our study. So all the way back in Genesis, Jesus Christ was being spoken of. That there was going to be one that would come to set things right. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we hear that Savior that's coming. And then all through the Old Testament, there are points uh, that over 300 prophecies of one that's coming, a Savior that is coming. Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Who else could do that? The answer is obviously nobody. That would fulfill, the odds are astronomical. Anybody who's been here for a long time has heard Will, our former pastor, who was here for 20 years, explain that for one person to fulfill eight prophecies would be astronomical uh, uh, odds, okay? And these are crazy things, right? But if you take basic things from your life, eight eight basic things, and I'm going to do this very briefly, and say, okay, who could line up with all of these things? Those odds that somebody could line up with all those things are way astronomical. Okay, and and Will gives the uh, the odds would be like taking uh, a space like the state of Texas. Anybody who's been to Texas, you can just drive and drive and drive and drive and drive, and you're still not at the end of it. It's kind of like Montana, but bigger, right? Um, and uh, if you covered the state of Texas two feet deep in in uh, quarters, and you color one of them a specific color, and then you take bulldozers and push those things all around, and somebody jumps out of a plane, dives down, reaches down, or, or, or I say jumps out of a plane. That was more exciting on my mind. But somebody gets put anywhere, right? That's the way I would want to be put in the field, right? And then that person has to reach down and just grab one, that they're going to grab the one. For eight prophecies, over 300 of them for Jesus Christ. 
because of the fall of Adam, we inherited a sin nature. And in our study in the book of Romans, which we'll pick up again next week, in our study, we see a few key verses that we need to consider. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us, everybody. We inherit sin nature. And if we've committed a sin in our life, that means that we're guilty before the perfect God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages for that disobedience and turning against God's law is death. But look what it says at the end of that. But the gift of God, not to be earned, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way to salvation. That's the way to peace. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. To what, if we want peace with God, we can have that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense, Adam's, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. So death through Adam, life through Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, a righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life, being made acceptable. That's what justification means. Faith in Jesus Christ and, and a believing faith in him makes us acceptable to God because we're believing that he is and that he came and died for us. That's it. That's all we need to, to, uh, to accept that, right? Christians that are here and people that have been in this church, you've heard all these things ad nauseum, and that's great. And not even ad nauseum. Hopefully that doesn't make you nauseous, right? But we've heard these things, and we should be very familiar with those. If we don't know them, understand how much God loves you, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the most wonderful thing. That's what we're celebrating right now. That's what we celebrate, right? Ephesians chapter 2, if you ever think you have to earn your salvation, 2 verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't earn it. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. John chapter 14 verse 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He could do that because he was God in the flesh, right? 1 Timothy 2.5, and I said this before, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. How does someone get saved? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's it. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and start a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can do that at any moment. And I pray anybody who doesn't know Jesus, don't leave here without doing that. Do not leave this place without doing that. Today is a day of salvation. Jesus Christ came to be the substitutionary atonement for our sins. The Lamb of God that was slain for us. 
Isaiah 53. Now bear with me. If you can turn there with me if you want, and we're almost done here. I might go five minutes over. <clears throat> I, but it's Christmas, so we can do that. So uh, Isaiah 53, verse. this is the whole chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the, Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. This is speaking of Jesus. Now look at this. For he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So the glowing pictures of this beautiful-looking man, he just looked like a normal dude is what we're seeing here. Okay, Verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put, on him, put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That means that Jesus Christ took upon all of that wrath of God. By his stripes we are healed. Right, and we're, it, there was a lot to read there of suffering, taking for taken for us that we deserve for our disobedience from a perfect and loving God. How do we have forgiveness? Because God is a just judge. That means that He can't just overlook something, right? He can't just so consider you've been wronged in court, and you go into court, and you know you've got all the perfect evidence to prove that somebody has stolen from you or they've done wrong, and you bring it in. The judge is like, I don't care. I like this guy. Next case. That's not a just judge. There had to be penalty, a penalty paid for the wrong that was done. 
And what God did was become a man so that we don't have to face the penalty of our sin. We don't have to face the wrath of God or bear the punishment for our sin, separation from God forever in hell because of his love for us. What a wonderful, that's why, I mean, this is a, a significant time for us to remember the birth of the Savior. But why did he come? What, what was his mission? What was he doing, right? We have to remember those things and be able to share those things. And, and wrapping up right here, it says he made intercession for the transgressors. How? He was nailed to the cross for our sins. John chapter 19, verse 30 says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he had been nailed to a cross. He'd been beaten all night, right? Blindfolded, beaten. He had been whipped. You know, then he's dragged out. He's got to carry his cross for as far as he, as he can. Then he's got to have somebody help him for the rest of it, right? They nail him into his wrists and, and, and into his feet, and they nail him to a cross. And he's up there, and he has no way. His, his mouth is so dry. That's prophetic. Even there, I can go on for days, and I won't. But uh, so when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his, set, his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, Matthew chapter 27 says that when that happened, the veil that was in the temple, the religious temple that separated, it symbolizes separation between God and man. That veil was torn from top to bottom. Matthew chapter 27, if you want to go look at it. I think it's verse 15. The veil was torn in two by God saying that because Jesus Christ, when he said it is finished and he died, that was the substitutionary death for us. It's been done. It is finished. It's over with. Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, gives us victory over sin. His resurrection gives us victory over death. And we can someday be with him forever. When we think of his life, his, his, his death, his resurrection, oh man, there's so much to praise him for. It's finished. Mission accomplished, right? Price for our sin is paid once and for all. We're no longer in bondage to sin. It says in Luke chapter 4, I know I said I'm wrapping it up, but I am. So he came to Jerusalem. I'm sorry, he came to Jerusalem. It says Nazareth right there. So he came to Nazareth when he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into uh, the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, pro, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the syn who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus Christ was claiming to be the one fulfilling the scriptures. He is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And he said that he was here to preach the, 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 uh, to the poor, the good news of salvation, proclaim liberty to captives, those caught in the snare of sin. There is freedom in Christ. You've heard of the term born-again Christian, right? Many of us bear that. That means that we, are a, we have been uh, made a new creation in Christ. By, you know, Christ offers us a new life. Free from the bondage of the power of sin. We're doing, uh, we've studied that in Romans in our study. I'm going to give you a couple verses. 
First John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we can go to him with anything and say, I've sinned against you. Would you please cleanse me? It's done. That's it. We don't have to. Uh, it's what a, what a wonderful message. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Old is past. All is made new. Spoke to you about the 300 prophecies plus that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his uh, birth, his, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. There are more prophecies about him returning. Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger that we sing of, and, and this Savior that came, he is returning to this earth. And you look at the, the prophecies, right? And if you just start thinking, think of some of them are like, like Daniel said, knowledge will increase and many will travel to and fro. Guys, we're cloning things. Think of the knowledge, right? The, the technology in your phone is, is, is more advanced than the technology used to send people to the moon back in, what, it was 1969 or whenever it was, right? I told you guys, not the greatest. Uh, it was 1969, I think, right? Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 say, that at the, realize this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. We now have a choice. We've, we've talked about you know, what is Christmas? What are we celebrating? Who is Jesus Christ? Why did he come? And now we're left with a choice. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we have a choice. Do we want to reject that gift that God would give us? Why would we reject it? I have no idea. Why would we want to? Who would want to reject a Savior, right? Consider being stuck out in the ocean. Somebody's out there chucking you a lifeline. Be like, no, I'm good. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. I'm enjoying the sharks swirling around me right now. You know, that's not going to happen. Why would we do so with our, with our souls? Understand that we're not here by chance. We're not in this room by chance. The Lord has led us uh, to this place. We've learned in our study in Romans chapter 2, it says the goodness of God calls us to repentance, right? Does God love us more than we can know or comprehend? He became a man to save us and to draw us into relationship with him. That relationship is based on his righteousness, his grace, his love, that grace, undeserved favor, right? His mercy that we're not getting what we do deserve. God is taking care of all those things. And he desperately calls out for us to have a relationship with him, to repent, to turn back from our sinful ways and come to him as the Savior. So you may have heard this before. The question is, what are we doing with the information? Jesus Christ said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. There's an invitation from Christ saying, would you come in? If you don't have that relationship with Christ, please, please do not leave here without talking with me or, uh, or anybody else that, uh, that um, you know, is here. If you just say, hey, he said to talk to somebody. I want to talk to you. And they'll bring you to or whatever. Okay. The question is, do we have room for Jesus Christ in our lives? There wasn't room for him in the end, right? 
need to accept him now. If you have accepted the Lord, but you've wandered away from the Lord, now's your time to ask him, Lord, I just want to come back. And he'll, he'll take you back. He's good. He's good like that. Today's the day of salvation. You celebrate Jesus Christ every day in our lives, right? Well, Merry Christmas, guys. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful thing to consider. That you saw this lost, broken, and sinful world and knew the only hope was to become a man and die for us. Live a perfect life. Show us, teach us how to live. Give us your words that we can understand. And then to die for us, die in our place. That we might be able to come and be with you forever. We thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. If we have a relationship with you. We praise your name, God. If there's anybody here tonight, or this morning, guys, and you don't know the Lord, take a quiet moment right now. And if he's leading you, don't push him away. He'll never regret accepting the Lord. A simple thing of, of, of confessing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that you believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior that God sent to this earth. And you want to have a relationship with God, ask him. And he said he'll give himself to you. He'll give us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to teach us. Take a moment. Or if you need to return, you've wandered. Take a moment and do that yourselves. Praise your name, Lord, that we can come to you because of what you've done. Thank you that we can celebrate the Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Guys, if you have